Today's reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, I will be, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, LLC. Uh, to you that are here and also to those that are joining us uh, live uh, online, it's good to be back after a month or so of uh, being on sabbatical and having a time of rest and time to clear our minds and our hearts, uh, to come back refreshed and to serve the Lord uh, in this way. I just want to say uh, thank you for choosing to be here uh, this morning, whether you're joining us live online or, or here in, in person. Uh, or over the last month or so during our sabbatical, it was different uh, for our family because for the first time in a very long time, we had to choose to be here, uh, go to church. Uh, and what I mean by that was a pastor and a pastoral family, well, every single Sunday, as you know, uh, that I'm just expected to show up and that's just, you know, on your autopilot and, and whatnot. But that really shifted our hearts and our minds. So I just want to say thank you for showing up, for being here, especially for the families, all the chaos <laughs> you go through in order to join us. Uh, we experienced that in a different way. Uh, as we rushed off, we're like, we're late for service. Why? We prepared one hour ahead of time, but we're five minutes late again. It doesn't really matter how long ahead you prepare. This seems to always catch up to you. So thanks for coming together, and I, I think the Lord uh, sees your heart. Uh, so keep going and pursuing him uh, in, in this way. Uh, I want to start off by saying that temptation only comes when we're hungry. Temptation only comes when we're hungry. During this last month, uh, we ended the two our month sabbatical with a two-week road trip. And we, the furthest we went uh, was to see the dinosaur bones in Drumheller, uh, Alberta. We didn't stop too much in Calgary uh, because everything is going on in Alberta, but we <laughs> go through. We went there to see the dinosaur bones uh, and just, you know, just, just to see, like, wow, this, this fossil here is 175 million years old. Like, I can't even fathom uh, how, how old that is. And on, on the way back, we stopped in Revelstoke. And after weeks, uh, no, no weeks, a week, uh, of and days of eating Tim Hortons, of eating <laughs> McDonald's, uh, which uh, my son loves. She's like, did you know we ate fries for six days in a row? I'm like, yeah, that's not good parenting. Uh, and we, after meal, meal after that, and stopping Revelstoke, Jess and I were like, we felt like something soupy. Uh, we felt like we needed to eat something soupy, something hot, something uh, noodle-ish. And we stopped, and it's, it's funny because our family, this is way back in high school, uh, we traveled through Revelstoke, and we stopped at a Chinese restaurant, and that was a terrible experience. And, and, and nothing to the small towns, uh, Asian ethnic food restaurants, but they do the best they can 
Uh, we chose another one. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't the one that I went to last time. It had 4.7 stars on Google, so it must be pretty decent. And we went there, and we were disappointed, uh, to say the least. Uh, it was a noodle and Shanghainese restaurant, and I mean, nothing on them again. Uh, they're doing what they're going to do, uh, and it's not fair to compare what we have here in Vancouver uh, to the food they have in Revelstoke. But we, we succumbed to our temptation. We were really wanting something soupy and hot. We went in. It did, uh, well, we had something soupy and hot, and I guess it satisfied that a little bit. But temptation only comes when we're hungry. I went in there. I'm like, we're going to order all these things, and what came back wasn't what I expected to eat. The meal I was expecting was terribly dissatisfying. I'm not going to tell you the name of the restaurant. Uh, you can discover that uh, on your own. We're starting a new sermon series uh, today. It's a 15-part series called Meals with Jesus. And we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke and look into the different people that Jesus has meals with and the desperation they have for Jesus and the kind of people that Jesus hangs out with. As one theologian said in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples are either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. And through the whole Gospel of Luke, you see people eating meals uh, with Jesus, or leaving a meal, or going to a meal. And we're going to pay close attention to these kind of, kinds of people that Jesus hangs out with. Because through the sabbatical, this prayer for our church and for myself, that we would be a people that doesn't only look like Jesus, but in our everyday that we live like people that actually need Jesus. And there's a difference between the two because we can know a lot about Christ and know a lot about Jesus, know a lot about what a Christian looks like instead of living like we actually need him, that we have this desperation, we have this hunger for him, that we have this need for him. And we see in the gospel of Luke here that Jesus, in all the gospels, that Jesus doesn't hang out with the prestigious, but he hangs out with those that are despised in society. And these people that have to have this hunger uh, to be with Jesus and to experience the salvation uh, in him. In today's text, uh, we're going through Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and I'm titling the sermon today, What We Hunger For. And the big idea for us, which I already said uh, for us uh, earlier, is this. You can switch to the next slide. Uh, the big idea is temptation only comes when we're hungry. Temptation only comes when we're hungry, like when we went to a Chinese restaurant or the Shanghainese restaurant. Temptation only comes when we're hungry. Have you noticed that to be true uh, in your own life? Uh, this is true for food. We talk about that in grocery shopping, right? That's a you know, the most terrible time to go grocery shopping because you're buying everything and anything, things that you don't need. But this is also true for other aspects of our life. Uh, when we're hungry for attention or we're hungry for worth, or we're hungry for belonging. Temptation only comes when we're hungry, and it matters what we're hungry for. And in ancient Israel, there's a common practice for people to go off into the wilderness, uh, into the wild, to go for a fast or a spiritual retreat. And it's also different for us now, right? We go on retreats out in the wild, uh, we go camping, we move away from the city, we retreat outdoors, uh, and it's more meant for us to be uh, to reflect. Uh, something happens when we stare at the mountains. Something happens when we stand in front of that quiet lake or that roaring river, or we stand and we hear uh, the, the wind go through the trees. Something happens there where our hearts expand and our pride shrinks, and we start reflecting upon the meaning of our life, and we start reflecting upon uh, what God is saying to us. And in this text today, this is where we find Jesus. He goes into 
the wilderness. And this section of text is fascinating because if you look into your Bibles right before this in chapter uh, 3, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Then we read this genealogy uh, of Jesus, naming uh, the the people that he has come from, uh, the lineage of Jesus. So right after Jesus commits and sets an example for us what discipleship looks like through uh, through baptism and committing one's life, uh, we see the genealogy here. And we see also in the the baptism of what uh, God declares upon Jesus, that you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. That's the identity placed upon Christ. That is who he is. In verses 22 to 37, the genealogy of Jesus is laid for us, ending with verse 37, where it says, Jesus, the Son of God. That is his title. That is his identity. And you think everything is good, that he's off on his spiritual high. He's baptized. This is his uh, lineage, his genealogy. He's on his spiritual high, not uh, much different than when we come back from a retreat, not much different than when we come back from a sabbatical, uh, when you come off of that conference. But what happens next to Jesus? What happens next? Well, let's read uh, the text. In verse 1 to 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was what? Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. No kidding. Uh, at the end of 40 days of not eating, he was hungry. I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Me, after the service, I'm you know, way worse. Uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So on the spiritual high, he left the Jordan. And what? You think that he went off and did great things. No, he, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And if you've read Scripture before in parts of the Bible, you may have noticed this, that the number 40 represents this time and time again, symbolizes a time of testing. A time of testing. Though symbolic, it's also highly literal. That it was literally 40 days as well. 40 days uh, and nights of rain, as we see uh, in the Old Testament. At 40, 40 years in the desert when Moses ran away from his calling. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights, uh, concer- uh, 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 dialoguing with God, uh, 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 encountering God on the mountain. Israelites sent spies into Canaan for 40 days. Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Goliath, he taunted the, God's army, the people of Israel, for 40 days before King David, well, not King David yet, David showed up and defeated Goliath. Elijah fled from Jezebel and traveled for 40 days. So 40 days is a time of testing. It's a time of, of testing for the people of God. So Jesus here was full of the Spirit. He was on the spiritual high, but then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, a place that we wouldn't expect him to be right after being on the spiritual high. And why am I going on about this point? Because some of us, we are where we are because of the consequences of the decisions that we've made. And we need to own that. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to bring that before God. But some of you are also thinking, you follow God faithfully. You follow God faithfully. I've done everything right. How come I'm going through this time now? How come I'm going through this trial or this testing right now? And just because you're going through a low time doesn't mean that God isn't there. Just because you're caught off guard doesn't mean that God is caught off guard. That you are exactly where you're meant to be because God knows. And God understands. And God knows what's best for you. God isn't surprised by your trials and by your testing and by the problems and by the issues 
in your life. God knows. And often, he's led into this time for us to be strengthened. You're led into this time for strengthening, for testing, for forging, to, be, to grow stronger in your faith, to become something even better than what you thought you could be. James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 to 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That in your testing, in your trials, God has a purpose for you. So don't let up, don't let go. Press into what God has called you into and where God has placed you. You might be thinking, this could be a whole sermon series, a whole sermon of its own, but what's the difference between trials and testing and temptation? Well, trials is what happens to us that could be used to grow our faith. So trials and testing is what could be used to grow your faith, but temptation is internal, and we can only be tempted by what's tempting to each person. What do I mean by this? Well, I saw a post on social media the other day that there's $143 durian that was fresh shipped in from Asia. And they're like, who would buy this, right? That was the post that I saw. I'm like, I definitely would not buy that because why? I'm not tempted by eating durian. Durian, I actually run away from it. Like, if you tempt me from durian, it's like, here, Doug, here's a free $143 durian. I'm like, I, it doesn't matter because I don't like it. <laughs> and I'm not tempted by it, that. But maybe for my wife who loves durian, maybe. Probably not for $143, but, <laughs> for, but durian, you get, you get the point. Uh, you see, for, for each one of us, Satan is really good at finding out what's tempting for you. And each person might be a little bit different. He's very good at finding out what's tempting for you. He's very good at finding out what you hunger for, what desires you have. And he goes for that weak spot. He goes for that weak spot. But I also want to say, though, that though that is true, that God is also with you. He's also with you. And maybe there's a certain temptation that's happening in your life, and you're feeling like you're defined by it, you're ashamed of it, you feel like you're being conquered by it. But as W.W. Wearsby says in his commentary, temptation is Satan's weapon to defeat us, but it can become God's tool to build us. That with every temptation there is, God is right there, helping you, preparing you to face that trial, that God never tempts, but he is there to test and to help you through your trials, to become stronger, to take those moments of temptation to grow you into something even better. Those moments of evil and wickedness, those moments where you might be down and out, God comes and not condemn, doesn't condemn, doesn't ashamed, but lifts us up and says, this is a turning point for you, or it could be, to strengthen you, to make you better, to make you stronger. And we see this with Jesus in his temptation, his temptations by Satan, by the devil. And we see that it really starts off with a meal, as we talk about meals with Jesus, that he's tempted with what he has to eat. He's tempted with this meal. And what did Jesus fight back with throughout this whole passage here? We see that he fights back with scripture. Jesus fights temptation with scripture. And some of you need to write that down. <laughs> some of you need to remember that. Because I say this most often at times when we fight temptation, we don't fight temptation with scripture or what God says. We fight it with our own willpower, right? Have you ever been there? Or just don't do it? You fight it with your own willpower and you hope that it ultimately works, but ultimately our willpower succumbs and we fall. Well, why scripture? Why does Jesus quote scripture? Because scripture has a way of taking our eyes off of ourselves 
and onto God and onto his truth, onto who he is, because it's in our times of trials and temptations that we need to remember who God is most. We need to remember who God is most, and at least that is true in my life. And I'm saying this because I need to hear this too. And I have a confession, and maybe you know this already, that I'm not the best, uh, uh, smartest person in the room. You're like, well, I know that already. Uh, I'm not the smartest cookie. I'm not the most well-studied. I, I can't sit still for long periods of time. So studying through, through uh, studying is a challenge for me that I need to really work at and really need to pray through and need to, need to discipline myself. And I have a lot of trouble memorizing scripture. It's memorizing long words. So I never tested well in general back in school. And the same carries through here. It's a weakness of mine. I'm like, God, take this thorn away. <laughs> you know, take this, this weakness away from me. And a quick little story. I had my ordination interview yesterday. And I had this long a list of questions, not questions, topics. I'm going to ask these deep theological questions. Like, what is the Trinity? Who is God? Why is Jesus fully God and fully man? What is the church? What is salvation, atonement? All that kind of stuff. And then before all of that, the very first question that was asked to me by, um, by a professor, you know, was how many books are there in the Old Testament? And I went blank. Sitting before there in my ordination uh, interview, the simplest question to start off with, I went blank. Brain fart. <laughs> right then and there, just staring into the Zoom camera, I'd be like, Wow. And I made a guess. It's kind of close, but not really. And then he was like, actually, it's 39. I'm like, okay. I know there's 66 books in the Bible. <laughs> and then he asked me next, how many in the New Testament? And I quickly did the math, and I said 27. In that moment, at the basic question, I felt this moment of shame. of like, God, Doug, God is, it has been in your life. God is working in you. And you're at this moment where God is leading you to ordination. You couldn't answer the simplest question of how many books there are. So for the record, so that you never experienced that, it's 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. But I've never been good at memorizing Scripture and knowing these, these facts about the Bible. But knowing Scripture is important. Because time and time again, Scripture is needed for us to fight the temptations of the world. And if it's not within us, we can't use it. That's what I'm trying to say. If it's not within our heart, we can't apply it in these moments. Here's the thing. As humans we be, beings, we lose focus of God too often and too easily, and Scripture's a way for us to focus. It's a language that God has given us to speak truth over our lives and over our situations and to be reminded of all the good things that he has for us. And this is especially true for us during temptations because guaranteed if you're in your moments of falling into temptation, that if in those moments of temptation you have scripture on your heart and mind, you wouldn't fall into that temptation. What do I mean by that? It's very hard to be angry and to live out your life in rage when we're quoting Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 in our hearts. In that moment, when you're quoting this, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If that was in your heart at that moment, it's very hard to say the next thing you're about to say. Or to do the next thing you're about to do. The reason why I fall is because I did not have that. I lost focus of what God is saying. I lost focus. It wasn't in me. So here, Jesus lives that out. It was in him. His reply wasn't anything else but scripture. It was purely and simply scripture. When things are tough, we forget to lean on, on God. 
But on the flip side, when things are good, we forget God altogether as well. The call of us as Christians, as those that follow God, is to remember who God is and to put him at the forefront of all times. And we fight our temptations and the ways of the world, world with Scripture. As Ephesians 6.12, take the helmet of salvation and want the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We fight temptation. We fight the ways of the world, not with our own strength and our own willpower, but with the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the human heart. We fight temptation with Scripture. Scripture from where, though, as we look a little bit deeper into this passage, Jesus is selective. He doesn't just quote anything in anywhere. It's intentional that all the Scripture he chooses, if you see this in the bottom of your Bible, it's not like I have a miracle Bible that I get to know these things. You read it in yourself. You see where Jesus quotes it from. He quotes it all from Deuteronomy. All these passages are quoted from Deuteronomy, and we need to ask the question, why? Why Deuteronomy? Well, what is Deuteronomy all about? Deuteronomy summarizes the lessons that God taught the people of Israel while they were journeying through what? The wilderness. While they're journeying through the desert, when they're hungering and they're wandering, that this, these are the lessons that God was teaching the people of Israel while they were in the desert. So here Jesus took what was taught and did what Israel should have done when they were wandering through the desert and what they should have done in overcoming temptation. Jesus redeems and demonstrates for us what it looks like to live a life that fully follows God and obeys his word and lives it out in a perfect way. So why these temptations? Well, as we have mentioned already, who else was led into the wilderness before? Well, it was the people of Israel, right? They, they, they wandered into, uh, they, were, they escaped from Egypt through the Exodus, through the Red Sea. They're wandering through the desert. Uh, they're in the desert. Because of the disobedience, they were sentenced to 40 years of wandering because of their faithlessness and the disobedience. They're wandering through the wilderness. But there, before all of that, there was testing. There were trials. And it mirrors these three that Jesus goes through. The people of Israel, they were rescued, but then they failed in their testing. They failed in their trials. When Moses, uh, here in the very first one, uh, Jesus is tempted by making bread, right? Uh, by, by, by depending on him, his own strength to create something for himself. Well, the people of Israel, they were down on the mountain when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, this is the first time because he was so infuriated uh, the next time he broke the tablets. Uh, but when he came back down from the mountain, he saw the Israels, what, worshiping a golden, a golden calf. Uh, that, that was the second temptation here that we see, where Jesus replied, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he worships God alone instead of worshiping other things. We see also, sorry, I mixed it up in the first part, <laughs> uh, where, where, where the people of Israel, they depended on themselves. God provided manna and quail for them every single day and just enough for them. But they stole away, stole, stowed away some more for themselves. And God's like, no, that's going to fade away. Why are you doing that? Don't you trust me that what I'm going to give you is enough for today? It's enough for your trials. It's enough for this week. But Jesus says here, man shall not live on bread alone. That God is more than all of that. All, more than the physical. And the third temptation speaks to the whole exodus 
on his own, where Israel failed their time of testing altogether. But Jesus says here, do not put the Lord God to the test. Because God is faithful. God is good. Just because you're going through these times, it doesn't mean God has forgotten you. So here we have Jesus redeeming all the ways that Israel has failed, in a nutshell. In this trial and in this temptation. He redeems all the ways that the Israelites and humanity really have gone wrong. He's doing that with you too today. That with all your mistakes, with all your weaknesses, all the ways you've failed in your temptations and following your temptations, for all the times you've said what you said and done what you've done and all the ways that you've gone wrong, Jesus is enough to stand in the gap. That Jesus is enough to stand in the gap for you, that he's enough to turn things around and for you to experience new life in him now. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter the hardship. It doesn't matter the obstacle. And situation, God is for you. And he's proven through these temptations here and conquering them that he is enough. That what, he is, what you are going through, he can also go through with you. And more than that, he can conquer that. But let's look into temptation a little bit closer because there's a little bit more here for us. In Luke 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Again, first of these three temptations starts with the meal, starts with feeding into what he is hungry for. Satan quotes scripture, which is fascinating. That Satan knows the word too, in a way, to throw it back to us. But this is dangerous because it's those statements and thoughts that are filled with half-truths that are the most dangerous. Something that's totally false, that's something that totally doesn't make sense. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to reject that. I'm not going to follow that. But watch out for those that are mixed in with some truth. Those thoughts and those, uh, those thinking and those emotions, those, 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 um, those desires that we have that are filled with half-truths, those are the ones that we need to particularly pay attention uh, at. Maybe their thoughts and questions like, doesn't God love you and just want you to be happy? Didn't God fill you with the Spirit so that what you're thinking and doing must be right? I'm a daughter and a son of God, so I deserve to be treated as such. You see, those are all true in some aspect, but they're also can be twisted depending on the motive, depending on the, uh, the, the intention behind that. The problem is we don't see things clearly and our thoughts and our decisions can be affected by our own sinful heart. And that's why we need to focus not on ourselves but on who God is and what he says and what he calls us to. And here Satan tempts Jesus by trying to tell him what he needs, really. He's like, hey, you're hungry, you need bread, so hey, aren't you the son of God? And actually many scholars would translate it, it's not if you are, Satan's uh, statement is actually since you are, it's actually a declaration of his lordship, it's actually since you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread, like you can take care of yourself, you can turn the stone into bread, and he's telling Jesus what he needs, but Satan is, what really, what Satan's really trying to do is have Jesus separate the spiritual from the, from the physical, He's trying to have him separate. Well, you know what? You have a physical need right now. Just take care of that. You know, lay aside the spiritual side of things for a moment. But Jesus is saying, no, all things are spiritual. Man shall not live on bread alone. Yes, I need to take care of myself physically, but spiritually is in all things. We're spiritual beings. 
We don't just make physical decisions. All things are connected to the Spirit. And we're tempted by things we think we need, which Satan really tempts us with, with what we desire and what we think we hunger for. I need to have this new gadget, this new electronic. I need to fill my home with this and with that. I need to have the next promotion. I need to have that relationship. I need to have whatever it is to fill that need that we think we have. But we need to, as Jesus has here, really discern what it is that we think we're entitled to and where those desires are coming from. And I want to ask you this question. What do you really think you need in your life? What do you think you need? And I wanted to further that question by asking whether what you think you need, you really do need. Or is that something that you're desiring on your own that God's not really calling you towards and what God doesn't have for you? Because at the very end of the day, what we really need is God and what he says and the truth and the goodness that he has for us. He is the one who can ultimately satisfy our hunger. He's the one that can ultimately satisfy your thirst, your desires. He's ultimately the one who can provide everything your soul is looking for. It's only found in him. So why settle for bread? when God can give you life? Why settle for the crumbs when God has a feast for you at his table? And that's what moves into the next temptation here because Satan tempts Jesus with the temporal, with what's happening here in verse, in in verse, oh, I went backwards here. Uh, In verse five, I'm really going backwards here. Well, you can click to the next time. Verse 5, <laughs> the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor that has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I find this fascinating here that in the beginning when Jesus is baptized and he's dedicated his life fully to God and we see his lineage and he's the son of God and he is the Messiah that's to come, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the lowest place in the wilderness. But Satan tempts, the, tempts Jesus to, and gives him the highest place. The, 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 the difference in that, that a life, of Christ, a life in God leads us to the lowest place. Because Jesus came to serve and to be humble, not to be served, but to, 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 to be along the sick, to, to, to serve those that are poor. But here Satan tempts him with the highest places, with the kingdoms of the world. Satan fell because that's what he wanted. He fell and he was like, if this worked on me, maybe this will work on Jesus. But that's not what Jesus was hungering for. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with the world, uh, powers of the world, just like how someone might tempt me with durian. That's not what he was hungering for. That's not what he was desiring. That's not what he was yearning for. It didn't work because that's not what he has. What was he hungering for? Verse 8, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That was his hunger. That was his desire. I like what C.S. Lewis said, says here in this group eight letters, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And 
that Satan has a way to do that with us through the little decisions and the big decisions that we make every single day, whether to steer us towards God or to steer us away from God. And here, Satan was saying, Jesus, all you have to do is through a simple act, this little act, to worship me and everything is yours. But Jesus is saying, that's not what I hunger for. I worship for the glory of God, for God to have the glory, and for him to have honor, for him to be worshipped. And Jesus' eyes weren't fixed on climbing the ladder. His eyes weren't fixed on gaining fame or any riches of the world. Jesus' focus was, was on being a servant. Jesus' focus was on how low he could go in society and who he could serve. Because in God's upside-down kingdom, the first shall become last, and the last shall become first. And whoever wants to be the greatest among you must what? First become your servant. But for us, and like me, we get blinded by the lights. We get blinded by the glamour and get tempted by the ways of this world and what the world can offer us. And hear this, too many times we give up eternity for the sake of something that's instant. We give up eternity. What's eternally waiting for us? That what we sung about in the worship set earlier for something that's instant. Often we think of what we might gain now instead of thinking, wow, if I did this and I, what I think I'm going to gain here, what am I actually going to lose in eternity? Satan tries to narrow our view. Instant gratification right now, right here. And that's all, as if that's all that there is, there is to life. But Jesus wasn't tempted by this glory for right now because he knew a future glory awaited him when he went onto the cross and died and defeated death and rose again and now seated at the right hand of heaven. He knew that was the glory that awaited him. And for us as Christians that want to honor God, that's the glory that awaits us. That's what we have in view, not for the temporal things, not the instant things that we have here, but the life that's to come. And we live that out right now, right here. And finally, in verse 9 to 10, the devil led him. He's like, okay, that didn't work. Maybe this will work. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's fascinating when he's led to, the, led to Jerusalem and the highest point of the temple, that the highest point of Jesus' ministry isn't going to be on top of the church, the temple at that point, but actually when he's hung on the cross in Jerusalem. That was going to be his highest point. That was going to be his moment of glory of entering into glory. But here, Jesus replies, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Satan is really saying, if you're so precious to God, and maybe you've experienced this too, if you're so precious to God, surely he must save you. Surely he must rescue you. Which is also what he was mocked by when he was on the cross as well. Right? Surely save yourself if you're the son of God. Remember that scene? Surely. See, Satan's tactics have stayed the same. It doesn't change. And we're giving a manual of how to conquer through temptation. Surely he must save you and rescue you. Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt God's goodness. But Jesus also doesn't fall for that because that's not what he's hungering for. He's hungering for God's glory and for his kingdom and for to worship God for who he is. 
but it can sneak into our lives in the very same way. Thoughts like, if God really loved you, if God really loved you, would he let you go through what you're going through right now? But what's really at the heart of what Jesus replies here, what Jesus replies with here, in all three of these temptations, when Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, do not put the Lord your God to the test, what's behind all of this? See, Jesus didn't fight temptation with his willpower. It wasn't even because he knew the right scriptures to quote. That's not the point. I'm not telling you to be really good at Bible memorization. It wasn't because he prayed the right prayer at the right time. Behind all of Jesus' replies is an acknowledgement, and this is the key to fighting temptation. Behind all of Jesus' replies is an acknowledgement that it's not about him. That's what's behind all of these. That is not about him. This temptation of falling into it and gratifying our own flesh and desires, that's about us. But the way he fights is saying, acknowledging that life is not about him. Jesus didn't put himself at the center. Because behind all of this, what is it that Jesus really hungers for? It's for God's glory, as I've said time and time again. It's for God's fame. It's for the world to know God and his role is to point people towards Jesus. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. But there's a truth for us here, too, that as we conquer one temptation, there will be other flurries that come. It may not be because you're doing something wrong, but it's actually because maybe you're doing something right. I, I want to share this, that after a great month of sabbatical, of our family spending time together, it was a great time, just being so invested in the family, coming back this last week was one of the hardest weeks spiritually for me I've had in a very, very, very long time. Conversations and fights that Jess and I had about certain things going on in our lives, things that I've said that I shouldn't have said, that I'm needing repentance and forgiveness from Jess. Going into an ordination that I was like, man, maybe I'm not ready for this. Maybe I'm not good enough for this. Maybe I'm not. And then having that question rock me <laughs> right in the very beginning. That I had this spiritual high coming out of the sabbatical into a very low uh, th this week. And why am I sharing this with you? Because some of you are in a great time of testing and trial and you can't see a way through. But these are times that God is using to forge you to make you better, that the Christian life is not just about, I believe in Jesus and, you know, yippee-ki-yay and everything is good. <laughs> but it's full of ups and downs. But it's in, it, ups are good, but it's all, it matters all the more how you handle the downs, how you handle the trials and the temptations. But as I preach this, I'm preaching this to myself. I'm hoping this will be an encouragement for you, that this Jesus who was tested and stood the test, can stand the tests and the trials and temptations, everything that you're going through right now. He's able, he's more than able to handle your trials and what you're going through. He's the same God who rescued the Israelites from Egypt and parted the sea. He's the same God who led them through the desert in a pillar of smoke and fire. He's the same God who healed the sick, comforted those who mourned and raised the dead. He's the same God who suffered and died on our behalf. And he's the same God who rose again from the grave 
and is seated in heaven, victorious. As Romans 8.11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That is the promise that we have. That is the God that we follow. So church, this is a call as we start off the series, as we go off with the different encounters with meals with Jesus. It's a reflection for us. What do you hunger for? What are your desires? What are your temptations? Where are your weaknesses? Because Satan knows it probably maybe even better than you do. But for us to reflect, what are your weaknesses? What, where are your hungers? What are your true desires? So pray. Do your devotions. Read your Bibles. Be in fellowship with one another and keep, in, uh, keep each other accountable. Confess. Repent. Share deeply. And trust those that are close to you. And know that the Lord is God and that he's walking with you through your trials and temptations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today as we open up this 15-part series in Luke. God, I pray that as we go through Luke, that we won't gain more knowledge about you, that we would grow in us a desperation for you. Jesus, as a church, may we be on our knees saying, God, we need you. We need to repent of our ways of our selfish desires, and may you fill us, God, with godly desires, with desires for your kingdom, with desires to honor you and to glorify you. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here and listening in, tuning in online, God. May you grow in us a deep thirst and hunger for your righteousness, for your goodness, for your kindness, and may we experience your forgiveness today and know that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that for all those who are in your hands, we're in the best place could possibly ever imagine.